section four of south sea tales by jack london this librivox recording is in the public domain mocky he weighed one hundred and ten pounds his hair was kinky and negroid and he was black he was peculiarly black he was neither blue black nor purple black but plum black his name was mocky and he was the son of a chief he had three tambos tambo is melanesian for taboo and is first cousin to that polynesian word maki's three tambos were as follows first he must never shake hands with a woman nor have a woman's hand touch him or any of his personal belongings secondly he must never eat clams nor any food from a fire in which clams had been cooked thirdly he must never touch a crocodile nor travel in a canoe that carried any part of a crocodile even if as large as a tooth of a different black were his teeth which were deep black or perhaps better lamp black they had been made so in a single night by his mother who had compressed about them a powdered mineral which was dug from the landslide back of port adams port adams is a saltwater village on malaita and malaita is the most savage island in the solomons so savage that no traders or planters have yet gained a foothold on it while from the time of the earliest bishtamir fishers and sandalwood traders down to the latest labor recruiters equipped with automatic rifles and gasoline engines scores of white adventurers have been passed out by tomahawks and soft-nosed snyder bullets so malaita remains today in the twentieth century the stamping ground of the labor recruiters who farm its coasts for laborers who engage and contract themselves to toil on the plantations of the neighboring and more civilized islands for a wage of thirty dollars a year the natives of those neighboring and more civilized islands have themselves become too civilized to work on plantations Maki's ears were pierced not in one place nor two places but in a couple of dozen places in one of the smaller holes he carried a clay pipe the larger holes were too large for such use the bowl of the pipe would have fallen through in fact in the largest hole in each ear he habitually wore round wooden plugs that were an even four inches in diameter roughly speaking the circumference of said holes was twelve and one-half inches Maki was catholic in his tastes in the various smaller holes he carried such things as empty rifle cartridges, horseshoe nails, copper screws, pieces of string, braids of sennet, strips of green leaf, and, in the cool of the day, scarlet hibiscus flowers, from which it will be seen that pockets were not necessary to his well-being. Besides, pockets were impossible, for his only wearing apparel consisted of a piece of calico several inches wide a pocket-knife he wore in his hair the blade snapped down on a kinky lock his most prized possession 
was the handle of a china cup which he suspended from a ring of turtle shell which in turn was passed through the partition cartilage of his nose but in spite of embellishments Maki had a nice face it was really a pretty face viewed by any standard and for a melanesian it was a remarkably good-looking face its one fault was its lack of strength it was softly effeminate almost girlish the features were small regular and delicate the chin was weak and the mouth was weak there was no strength nor character in the jaws forehead and nose in the eyes only could be caught any hint of the unknown quantities that were so large a part of his make-up and that other persons could not understand these unknown quantities were pluck pertinacity fearlessness imagination and cunning and when they found expression in some consistent and striking action those about him were astounded Maki's father was chief over the village at port adams and thus by birth a salt-water man Maki was half amphibian he knew the way of the fishes and oysters and the reef was an open book to him canoes also he knew he learned to swim when he was a year old at seven years he could hold his breath a full minute and swim straight down to bottom through thirty feet of water and at seven years he was stolen by the bushmen who cannot even swim and who are afraid of salt water thereafter Maki saw the sea only from a distance through rifts in the jungle and from open spaces on the high mountain sides he became the slave of old fanfoa head chief over a score of scattered bush villages on the range lips of malaita the smoke of which on calm mornings is about the only evidence the seafaring white men have of the teeming interior population for the whites do not penetrate malaita they tried it once in the days when the search was on for gold but they always left their heads behind to grin from the smoky rafters of the bushmen's huts when Maki was a young man of seventeen fanfoa got out of tobacco he got dreadfully out of tobacco it was hard times in all his villages he had been guilty of a mistake swo was a harbor so small that a large schooner could not swing at anchor in it it was surrounded by mangroves that overhung the deep water it was a trap and into the trap sailed two white men in a small ketch they were after recruits and they possessed much tobacco and trade goods to say nothing of three rifles and plenty of ammunition now there were no salt-water men living at swo and it was there that the bushmen could come down to the sea the ketch did a splendid traffic it signed on twenty recruits the first day even old fanfoa signed on and that same day the score of new recruits chopped off the two white men's head killed the boat's crew and burned the ketch thereafter and for three months there was tobacco and trade goods in plenty and to spare in all the bush villages then came the man-of-war that threw shells for miles into the hills frightening the people out of their villages and into the deeper bush 
next the man-of-war sent landing parties ashore the villages were all burned along with the tobacco and trade stuff the coconuts and bananas were chopped down the taro gardens uprooted and the pigs and chickens killed it taught fanfoa a lesson but in the meantime he was out of tobacco also his young men were too frightened to sign on with the recruiting vessels that was why fanfoa ordered his slave maki to be carried down and signed on for half a case of tobacco advance along with knives axes calico and beads which he would pay for with his toil on the plantations maki was sorely frightened when they brought him on board the schooner he was a lamb led to the slaughter white men were ferocious creatures they had to be or else they would not make a practice of venturing along the malaita coast and into all harbors two on a schooner when each schooner carried from fifteen to twenty blacks as boats crew and often as high as sixty or seventy black recruits in addition to this there was always the danger of the shore population the sudden attack and the cutting off of the schooner and all hands truly white men must be terrible besides they were possessed of such double devils rifles that shot very rapidly many times things of iron and brass that made the schooners go when there was no wind and boxes that talked and laughed just as men talked and laughed ay and he had heard of one white man whose particular devil-devil was so powerful that he could take out all his teeth and put them back at will down into the cabin they took maki on deck the one white man kept guard with two revolvers in his belt in the cabin the other white man sat with a book before him in which he inscribed strange marks and lines he looked at maki as though he had been a pig or a fowl glanced under the hollows of his arms and wrote in the book then he held out the writing-stick and maki just barely touched it with his hand in so doing pledging himself to toil for three years on the plantations of the moon gleam soap company it was not explained to him that the will of the ferocious white men would be used to enforce the pledge and that behind all for the same use was all the power and all the warships of great britain other blacks there were on board from unheard of far places and when the white man spoke to them they tore the long feather from maki's hair cut that same hair short and wrapped about his waist a lava lava of bright yellow calico after many days on the schooner and after beholding more land and islands than he had ever dreamed of he was landed on new georgia and put to work in the field clearing jungle and cutting cane grass for the first time he knew what work was even as a slave to fanfoa he had not worked like this and he did not like work it was up at dawn and in at dark on two meals a day and the food was tiresome for weeks at a time they were given nothing but sweet potatoes to eat and for weeks at a time it would be nothing but rice he cut out the coconut from the shells day after day and for long days and weeks he fed the fires that smoked the copra till his eyes got sore 
and he was set to felling trees he was a good axeman and later he was put in the bridge-building gang once he was punished by being put in the road-building gang at times he served as boats crew in the whaleboats when they brought in copra from distant beaches or when the white men went out to dynamite fish among other things he learned bishtemir english with which he could talk with all white men and with all recruits who otherwise would have talked a thousand different dialects also he learned certain things about the white men principally that they kept their word if they told a boy he was going to receive a stick of tobacco he got it if they told a boy they would knock seven bells out of him if he did a certain thing when he did that thing seven bells invariably were knocked out of him maki did not know what seven bells were but they occurred in bishtemir and he imagined them to be the blood and teeth that sometimes accompanied the process of knocking out seven bells one other thing he learned no boy was struck or punished unless he did wrong even when the white men were drunk as they were frequently they never struck unless a rule had been broken maki did not like the plantation he hated work and he was the son of a chief furthermore it was ten years since he had been stolen from port adams by fanfoa and he was homesick he was even homesick for the slavery under fanfoa so he ran away he struck back into the bush with the idea of working southward to the beach and stealing a canoe in which to go home to port adams but the fever got him and he was captured and brought back more dead than alive a second time he ran away in the company of two malaita boys they got down the coast twenty miles and were hidden in the hut of a malaita free man who dwelt in that village but in the dead of night two white men came who were not afraid of all the village people and who knocked seven bells out of those three runaways tied them like pigs and tossed them into the whaleboat but the man in whose house they had hidden seven times seven bells must have been knocked out of him from the way the hair skin and teeth flew and he was discouraged for the rest of his natural life from harboring runaway laborers for a year maki toiled on then he was made a houseboy and had good food and easy times with light work in keeping the house clean and serving the white men with whiskey and beer at all hours of the day and most hours of the night he liked it but he liked port adams more he had two years longer to serve but two years were too long for him in the throes of homesickness he had grown wiser with his year of service and being now a houseboy he had opportunity he had the cleaning of the rifles and he knew where the key to the storeroom was hung he planned to escape and one night ten malaita boys and one boy from san cristobal sneaked from the barracks and dragged one of the whaleboats down to the beach it was maki who supplied the key that opened the padlock on the boat and it was maki who equipped the boat with a dozen winchesters an immense amount of ammunition a case of dynamite with detonators and fuse and ten cases of tobacco the northwest monsoon was blowing and they fled south in the night-time hiding by day on detached and uninhabited islets 
or dragging their whaleboat into the bush on the large islands thus they gained guadalcanar skirted halfway along it and crossed the indispensable straits to florida island it was here that they killed the san cristobal boy saving his head and cooking and eating the rest of him the malaita coast was only twenty miles away but the last night a strong current and baffling winds prevented them from gaining across daylight found them still several miles from their goal but daylight brought a cutter in which were two white men who were not afraid of eleven malaita men armed with twelve rifles maki and his companions were carried back to Tulagji, where lived the great white master of all the white men and the great white master held a court after which one by one the runaways were tied up and given twenty lashes each and sentenced to a fine of fifteen dollars they were sent back to new georgia where the white men knocked seven bells out of them all around and put them to work but maki was no longer a houseboy he was put in the road-making gang the fine of fifteen dollars had been paid by the white men from whom he had run away and he was told that he would have to work it out which meant six months additional toil further his share of the stolen tobacco earned him another year of toil port adams was now three years and a half away so he stole a canoe one night hid on the islets in manning straits passed through the straits and began working along the eastern coast of isabel only to be captured two-thirds of the way along by the white men on moringa lagoon after a week he escaped from them and took to the bush there were no bush natives on isabel only saltwater men who were all christians the white men put up a reward of five hundred sticks of tobacco and every time maki ventured down to the sea to steal a canoe he was chased by the saltwater men four months of this passed when the reward having been raised to a thousand sticks he was caught and sent back to new georgia and the road-building gang now a thousand sticks are worth fifty dollars and maki had to pay the reward himself which required a year and eight months labor so port adams was now five years away his homesickness was greater than ever and it did not appeal to him to settle down and be good work out his four years and go home the next time he was caught in the very act of running away his case was brought before mr havby the island manager of the moongleam soap company who had judged him an incorrigible the company had plantations on the santa cruz islands hundreds of miles across the sea and there it sent its solomon islands's incorrigibles and there maki was sent though he never arrived the schooner stopped at santa anna and in the night maki swam ashore where he stole two rifles and a case of tobacco from the trader and got away in a canoe to cristoval malaita was now to the north fifty or sixty miles away but when he attempted the passage he was caught by a light gale and driven back to santa anna where the trader clapped him in irons and held him against the return of the schooner from santa cruz 
the two rifles the trader recovered but the case of tobacco was charged up to Mocky at the rate of another year the sum of years he now owed the company was six on the way back to new georgia the schooner dropped anchor in marau sound which lies at the southeastern extremity of guadalcanar Mocky swam ashore with handcuffs on his wrists and got away to the bush the schooner went on but the moon-gleam trader ashore offered a thousand sticks and to him Mocky was brought by the bushman with a year and eight months tacked on to his account again and before the schooner called in he got away this time in a whaleboat accompanied by a case of the trader's tobacco but a northwest gale wrecked him upon ugi where the christian natives stole his tobacco and turned him over to the moon-gleam trader who resided there the tobacco the native stole meant another year for him and the tale was now eight years and a half we'll send him to lord howe said mr Havby. bunster is there and we'll let them settle it between them it will be a case i imagine of mauki getting bunster or bunster getting mauki and good riddance in either event if one leaves moringa lagoon on Isabel and steers a course due north magnetic at the end of one hundred and fifty miles he will lift the pounded coral beaches of lord howe above the sea lord howe is a ring of land some one hundred and fifty miles in circumference several hundred yards wide at its widest and towering in places to a height of ten feet above sea level inside this ring of sand is a mighty lagoon studded with coral patches lord howe belongs to the solomons neither geographically nor ethnologically it is an atoll while the solomons are high islands and its people and language are polynesian while the inhabitants of the solomons are melanesian lord howe has been populated by the westward polynesian drift which continues to this day big outrigger canoes being washed upon its beaches by the southeast trade that there has been a slight melanesian drift in the period of the northwest monsoon is also evident nobody ever comes to lord howe or ontong java as it is sometimes called thomas cook and son do not sell tickets to it and tourists do not dream of its existence not even a white missionary has landed on its shore its five thousand natives are as peaceable as they are primitive yet they were not always peaceable the sailing directions speak of them as hostile and treacherous but the men who compile the sailing directions have never heard of the change that was worked in the hearts of the inhabitants who not many years ago cut off a big bark and killed all hands with the exception of the second mate the survivor carried the news to his brothers the captains of three trading schooners returned with him to lord howe they sailed their vessels right into the lagoon and proceeded to preach the white man's gospel that only white men shall kill white men and that the lesser breeds must keep hands off the schooner sailed up and down the lagoon harrying and destroying there was no escape from the narrow sand circle no bush to which to flee the men were shot down at sight and there was no avoiding being sighted 
the villages were burned the canoes smashed the chickens and pigs killed and the precious coconut trees chopped down for a month this continued when the schooner sailed away but the fear of the white man had been seared into the souls of the islanders and never again were they rash enough to harm one max bunster was the one white man on lord howe trading in the pay of the ubiquitous moon gleam soap company and the company billeted him on lord howe because next to getting rid of him it was the most out-of-the-way place to be found that the company did not get rid of him was due to the difficulty of finding another man to take his place he was a strapping big german with something wrong in his brain semi-madness would be a charitable statement of his condition he was a bully and a coward and a thrice bigger savage than any savage on the island being a coward his brutality was of the cowardly order when he first went into the company's employ he was stationed on savo when a consumptive colonel was sent to take his place he beat him up with his fists and sent him off a wreck in the schooner that brought him mr havby next selected a young yorkshire giant to relieve bunster the yorkshire man had a reputation as a bruiser and preferred fighting to eating but bunster wouldn't fight he was a regular little lamb for ten days at the end of which time the yorkshire man was prostrated by a combined attack of dysentery and fever then bunster went for him among other things getting him down and jumping on him a score or so of times afraid of what would happen when his victim recovered bunster fled away in a cutter to Gavutu, where he signalized himself by beating up a young englishman already crippled by a boar bullet through both hips then it was that mr havby sent bunster to lord howe the falling-off place he celebrated his landing by mopping up half a case of gin and by thrashing the elderly and wheezy mate of the schooner which had brought him when the schooner departed he called the canicas down to the beach and challenged them to throw him in a wrestling bout promising a case of tobacco to the one who succeeded three canicas he threw but was promptly thrown by a fourth who instead of receiving the tobacco got a bullet through his lungs and so began bunster's reign on lord howe three thousand people lived in the principal village but it was deserted even in broad day when he passed through men women and children fled before him even the dogs and pigs got out of the way while the king was not above hiding under a mat the two prime ministers lived in terror of bunster who never discussed any moot subject but struck out with his fists instead and to lord howe came mocky to toil for bunster for eight long years and a half there was no escaping from lord howe for better or worse bunster and he were tied together bunster weighed two hundred pounds mocky weighed one hundred and ten bunster was a degenerate brute but mocky was a primitive savage while both had wills and ways of their own mocky had no idea of the sort of master he was to work for he had had no warnings and he had concluded as a matter of course 
that bunster would be like other white men a drinker of much whiskey a ruler and a lawgiver who always kept his word and who never struck a boy undeserved bunster had the advantage he knew all about mocky and gloated over the coming into possession of him the last cook was suffering from a broken arm and a dislocated shoulder so bunster made mocky cook and general houseboy and mocky soon learned that there were white men and white men on the very day the schooner departed he was ordered to buy a chicken from samasi the native tongan missionary but samasi had sailed across the lagoon and would not be back for three days mocky returned with the information he climbed the steep stairway the house stood on piles twelve feet above the sand and entered the living-room to report the trader demanded the chicken mocky opened his mouth to explain the missionary's absence but bunster did not care for explanations he struck out with his fist the blow caught mocky on the mouth and lifted him into the air clear through the doorway he flew across the narrow veranda breaking the top railing and down to the ground his lips were a contussed shapeless mass and his mouth was full of blood and broken teeth that'll teach you that back talk don't go with me the trader shouted purple with rage peering down at him over the broken railing mocky had never met a white man like this and he resolved to walk small and never offend he saw the boat boys knocked about and one of them put in irons for three days with nothing to eat for the crime of breaking a rowlock while pulling then too he heard the gossip of the village and learned why bunster had taken a third wife by force as was well known the first and second wives lay in the graveyard under the white coral sand with slabs of coral rock at head and feet they had died it was said from beatings he had given them the third wife was certainly ill-used as mocky could see for himself but there was no way by which to avoid offending the white man who seemed offended with life when mocky kept silent he was struck and called a sullen brute when he spoke he was struck for giving back talk when he was grave bunster accused him of plotting and gave him a thrashing in advance and when he strove to be cheerful and to smile he was charged with sneering at his lord and master and given a taste of stick bunster was a devil the village would have done for him had it not remembered the lesson of the three schooners it might have done for him anyway if there had been a bush to which to flee as it was the murder of the white men of any white man would bring a man-of-war that would kill the offenders and chop down the precious coconut trees then there were the boat boys with minds fully made up to drown him by accident at the first opportunity to capsize the cutter only bunster saw to it that the boat did not capsize mocky was of a different breed and escape being impossible while bunster lived he was resolved to get the white man the trouble was that he could never find a chance bunster was always on guard day and night his revolvers were ready to hand he permitted nobody to pass behind his back as mocky learned after having been knocked down several times 
munster knew that he had more to fear from the good-natured even sweet-faced malaita boy than from the entire population of lord howe and it gave added zest to the program of torment he was carrying out and Maki walked small accepted his punishments and waited all the other white men had respected his tambos but not so bunster Maki's weekly allowance of tobacco was two sticks bunster passed them to his woman and ordered Maki to receive them from her hand but this could not be and Maki went without his tobacco in the same way he was made to miss many a meal and to go hungry many a day he was ordered to make chowder out of the big clams that grew in the lagoon this he could not do for clams were tambo six times in succession he refused to touch the clams and six times he was knocked senseless bunster knew that the boy would die first but called his refusal mutiny and would have killed him had there been another cook to take his place one of the trader's favorite tricks was to catch Maki's kinky locks and bat his head against the wall another trick was to catch Maki unawares and thrust the live end of a cigar against his flesh this bunster called vaccination and Maki was vaccinated a number of times a week once in a rage bunster ripped the cup handle from Maki's nose tearing the hole clear out of the cartilage oh what a mug was his comment when he surveyed the damage he had wrought the skin of a shark is like sandpaper but the skin of a rayfish is like a rasp in the south seas the natives use it as a wood file in smoothing down canoes and paddles bunster had a mitten made of rayfish skin the first time he tried it on Maki, with one sweep of the hand it fetched the skin off his back from neck to armpit bunster was delighted he gave his wife a taste of the mitten and tried it out thoroughly on the boat boys the prime ministers came in for a stroke each and they had to grin and take it for a joke laugh damn you laugh was the cue he gave Maki came in for the largest share of the mitten never a day passed without a caress from it there were times when the loss of so much cuticle kept him awake at night and often the half-heeled surface was raked raw afresh by the facetious mr bunster Maki continued his patient wait secure in the knowledge that sooner or later his time would come and he knew just what he was going to do down to the smallest detail when the time did come one morning bunster got up in a mood for knocking seven bells out of the universe he began on Maki and wound up on Maki in the interval knocking down his wife and hammering all the boat boys at breakfast he called the coffee slops and threw the scalding contents of the cup into Maki's face by ten o'clock bunster was shivering with ague and half an hour later he was burning with fever it was no ordinary attack it quickly became pernicious and developed into black water fever the days passed and he grew weaker and weaker never leaving his bed Maki waited and watched the while his skin grew intact once more he ordered the boys to beach the cutter scrub her bottom 
and give her a general overhauling they thought the order emanated from bunster and they obeyed but bunster at the time was lying unconscious and giving no orders this was mocky's chance but still he waited when the worst was past and bunster lay convalescent and conscious but weak as a baby mocky packed his few trinkets including the china cup handle into his trade box then he went over to the village and interviewed the king and his two prime ministers this fella bunster him good fellow you like too much he asked they explained in one voice that they liked the traitor not at all the ministers poured forth a recital of all the indignities and wrongs that had been heaped upon them the king broke down and wept Maki interrupted rudely you savvy me me big fellow master my country you no like em this fellow white master me no like em plenty good you put hundred coconut two hundred coconut three hundred coconut along cutter him finish you go sleep em good fellow altogether canica sleep em good fellow by me by big fellow noise along house you no savvy hear em that fellow noise you altogether sleep strong fellow too much in like manner Maki interviewed the boat boys then he ordered bunster's wife to return to her family house had she refused he would have been in a quandary for his tambo would not have permitted him to lay hands on her the house deserted he entered the sleeping-room where the traitor lay in a doze Maki first removed the revolvers then placed the rayfish mitten on his hand bunster's first warning was a stroke of the mitten that removed the skin the full length of his nose good fella eh Maki grinned between two strokes one of which swept the forehead bare and the other of which cleaned off one side of his face laugh damn you laugh Maki did his work thoroughly and the canicas hiding in their houses heard the big fellow noise that bunster made and continued to make for an hour or more when Maki was done he carried the boat compass and all the rifles and ammunition down to the cutter which he proceeded to ballast with cases of tobacco it was while engaged in this that a hideous skinless thing came out of the house and ran screaming down the beach till it fell in the sand and mowed and gibbered under the scorching sun Maki looked toward it and hesitated then he went over and removed the head which he wrapped in a mat and stowed in the stern locker of the cutter so soundly did the canicas sleep through that long hot day that they did not see the cutter run out through the passage and head south close hauled on the southeast trade nor was the cutter ever sighted on that long tack to the shores of isabel and during the tedious headbeat from there to maleta he landed at port adams with a wealth of rifles and tobacco such as no man had ever possessed before but he did not stop there he had taken a white man's head and only the bush could shelter him so back he went to the bush villages where he shot old fanfoa and half a dozen of the chief men and made himself the chief over all the villages 
when his father died Mocky's brother ruled in port adams and joined together saltwater men and bushmen the resulting combination was the strongest of the ten score fighting tribes of malata more than his fear of the british government was Mocky's fear of the all-powerful moon gleam soap company and one day a message came up to him in the bush reminding him that he owed the company eight and one-half years of labor he sent back a favorable answer and then appeared the inevitable white man the captain of the schooner the only white man during Mocky's reign who ventured the bush and came out alive this man not only came out but he brought with him seven hundred and fifty dollars in gold sovereigns the money price of eight years and a half of labor plus the cost price of certain rifles and cases of tobacco Mocky no longer weighs one hundred and ten pounds his stomach is three times its former girth and he has four wives he has many other things rifles and revolvers the handle of a china cup and an excellent collection of bushmen's heads but more precious than the entire collection is another head perfectly dried and cured with sandy hair and a yellowish beard which is kept wrapped in the finest of fiber lava lavas when Maki goes to war with villages beyond his realm he invariably gets out this head and alone in his grass palace contemplates it long and solemnly at such times the hush of death falls on the village and not even a piccanini dares make a noise the head is esteemed the most powerful devil devil on malata and to the possession of it is ascribed all of Maki's greatness end of Maki.